Matthew chapter 21, and I'll begin reading in verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether, whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Together, verse 32. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. So here's what we're preaching on. It may, the title may strike you as strange or as odd based on the scripture we read, but I think as we get into it, we'll uh, hopefully understand why we're going this direction. But the title of the message tonight is this, Our Responsibility in Serving God. Our Responsibility in Serving God. And let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would bless the preach of your word to our hearts. That is probably the prayer that I pray almost every time before I preach. Recognizing, Lord, that it is not possible to speak to hearts. I can only speak to ears. But, Lord, I pray you to speak to hearts and you draw us closer. You bring about conviction and, and uh, hopefully some decisions tonight about serving you, being faithful to you. We never want to assume, Lord, we've arrived, that somehow just because we show up on a sunny night that we can check a box and say, okay, we are all that we're supposed to be. There's room for growth in each of our lives. Work in each of us, O oh Lord, so we grow and be what you want us to be. Pray that you bless the service, bless the preacher of your word. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. There is, and I, this will help us get in where we're going tonight, there's a misunderstanding about the idea of authority. And that misunderstanding that we have, they had, and this is really the basis of what we see, starting in verse 23, even going down to the end of the chapter, which some of those other verses we will uh, mention. So there's a misunderstanding about this, eye of, uh, this idea about authority. Now, in the carnal mind, the one who's thinking like the world, whether you're lost or you're a believer who's not really walking in the Spirit, to the carnal mind, when it comes to authority, it, they think about titles, or positions, or about control. I'm in authority, therefore I'm in control. I, I'm in authority, therefore I have a title, I have a position. Now, these people look at authority as a means to get what they want. If I get a title, or get a position, or I get in control, then I can maneuver things and work things so that I can get what I want. I've mentioned this before, when I was in Bible college, I worked at Long John Silver's, and when I worked at Long John's, missing Doug at the moment, aren't we? He doesn't give our, our uh, uh, obligatory arg there. 
Uh, so when I worked at Long John Silver's, I was a manager. Now, when they asked me to go into management, here's what I thought. And I, I was, I don't know, 18, 19, something like that. I was still very young. Still very young now, but I was even younger then. Uh, and so I thought, well, if I become the manager, I can sit here and tell everyone what to do and eat pecan pie. Because I can eat for free at McDonald's when I'm in the... Uh, at Long John Silver's when I'm the manager. And so, and they had pecan pie, and I love pecan pie. So I said, this is great. I'm going to eat pecan pie. I'm going to tell them what to do. I can sit here and, and just make it easy peasy. You know what I found out the very first time I became in charge? You do more work because everyone's looking at you, and, you're, you, and you realize all, now it's all on me. And so it wasn't simply I can tell them what to do, which there was a part of that, but it's there's some work involved, but the carnal mind, that's what they think. Uh, it's a title, it's a position, it's control, and I can get what I want from it. That's how a carnal mind thinks about authority. But as we think biblically and we think spiritually, the spiritual mind thinks about authority uh, in this way. It's work, it's responsibility, and it's accountability. So let's go back for a moment, look at our text here, look at verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? They didn't give him this authority. They said, who, who are you to be doing this? We didn't give you permission to do this. We didn't give you authority to do this. We didn't give you a title. <coughs> Excuse me. We didn't sanction this. Who are you to be doing these things? So they're challenging him on the authority. And that's a very carnal way. But now look down, if you will, uh, at verse 28. But what think ye, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He's saying that in the context of authority. You want to know what authority is? You go and do the job that you're supposed to be doing. That's really the basis of authority. It's work, it's responsibility, it's accountability. So when we get to our text here, Jesus takes this question of authority, which we see in verse 23, and he uses that question of authority to teach on responsibility. Because the essence of authority is responsibility. Amen. When you are given authority in an area, what you've been given is responsibility to get the job done. And you're accountable for it. A lot of people think, man, I'm going to be in charge. This is going to be easy. You're going to find out your workload just increased because now you're in charge. I'll give you an example of what I mean. We're, we're looking at these. This applies outside of the ministry, but we're talking about it within the context of a ministry. Think about Sunday school teachers. They're given authority over a class. What does that mean? Does that mean this? Hey, Johnny, sit down. Little Susie, you better stand up and sit up right there. Hey, you quit talking. Is that what it means to be in charge of a Sunday school class? Absolutely not. Because uh, little Johnny and little Susie ain't going to be listening like you think they're going to be listening. So when Sunday school teachers are given authority over a class, what it means is this. Now they're responsible for that class. They're responsible to having a Sunday school lesson. Uh, prepare. They're responsible, watch this, to clean the room. I know that's life-changing right there. To clean the Sunday school room. They're responsible, this again, watch this, to be early. Wouldn't it be a shame if you showed up after the students showed up? Wouldn't that be kind of strange with they're there waiting on the teacher? That would be not the, what you would want, a little sarcasm there. And so you're responsible for preparing the lesson. You're responsible for cleaning the room. You're responsible to be there early for the class. You're responsible that whatever rules you're given, that those rules are being followed within that Sunday school class. So the authority you're given is actually keeping you responsible for those things. And that's true about any type of ministry that you would be a part of. So again, they come to Jesus and they're giving him a question on authority. And what he turns around and uses that question of authority to teach us some valuable lessons 
on being responsible in our service for the Lord. So what kind of things can we draw out of this text? And what kind of application can we get? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you not three. That's my typical, isn't it? It's almost always three. This morning, how many do we have? We had four. Tonight, we have another special going on. It's going to be five. You're going to get five for the price of three. No added charge. You got five points tonight. Five applications, five things we're going to draw from our text about this idea about our responsibility in serving the Lord and serving God. Go back with me now. Let's draw some application. Look with me at verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. That's what he says to him. Now go down to verse number 30. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. What did he say to the first? Go work in my field. And he says, Likewise to the second, which means he says, Go work in my field. He says the same thing to both of them. I know there's a different response, but the same thing is said to both of them. So what can, what can, how can we apply this, we think, within our Christian life? Number one is this. God expects every believer, whether you're the first son or the second son, he says the same thing to both. Both. God expects every believer to be active in serving God. Every believer should be doing something for the Lord. Whether you've been saved one day, you've been saved 20 years. Every believer ought to be active in serving God. Both sons, in this account, both sons were expected to be working in the Father's vineyard. Let me say a couple of things about this because there is, I think, a little misunderstanding in our minds how we deal with young believers or we as older believers how we deal with serving the Lord. It is true, now thinking about serving the Lord, it is true that you should be able to do more as you grow spiritually. Wherever you are in your Christian life, Hopefully you're further along than you were, let's say, five years ago, if you've been saved that long. If you've been saved three years, hopefully you've been, you're, you're, you're further along than when you were saved, uh, first got saved three years ago or ten years, whatever it was. And so as you grow as a believer, and hopefully that is what you're doing, you're growing as a believer, you're understanding Scripture more, you're maturing in your faith, the Lord is developing and growing you, molding you into the image of Christ. It is true that you should be able to do more as you grow spiritually. Now, we don't grow just in knowledge. We grow in knowledge and in service. That's how we grow as believers. We know more and we start doing more. And as you know more, you should be able to do more, and that is true. Some, not, not a, a, someone who's just saved may not be able to do certain things, but as you grow spiritually, you can do more. So it is true that you should be able to do more as you grow spiritually. It is also true that some things you can't do until you grow. If, if someone got saved this morning and next, and, and, and next Sunday we made him a Sunday school teacher, would you kind of think that was kind of weird, odd? Would you have some questions about, I wouldn't, what, what's going on here? This guy just got saved, now he, he's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe he needs to grow a little bit before he does that, and that is true. So it's true that you should be able to do more as you grow. It is also true that some things you can't do until you grow, but, and here's the thing I want you to get, it is not true, not true, that you can't do anything until you grow. Every person, as soon as they're saved, can do something for Jesus. You know, if, 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 if someone just got saved, let's say, they, let's say they got saved end of last year, and they started coming faithfully, and they said, hey, can I, can I be an usher? 
Well, I don't know, uh, Bob, uh, you, you might have to go like 10 weeks in discipleship class, and we might have to really, uh, maybe you should go a couple, couple years in the Bible Institute, and then maybe you might be eligible to usher. Or could we say, put a shirt and tie on, you can usher next Sunday. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to, uh, well, <laughs> I'm not denigrating our ushers. <laughs> I'm appreciative of them. But when you think about the, the, big, the big challenge of it, you're just, you just are passing a plate. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to clean the church. By the way, that's an important function. You, you come one Sunday and the church wasn't clean, you would know how important that is. It doesn't take a lot to cut grass or shovel snow. All these things are important things. Everyone can do something. Now, again, some things you can't do until you grow, and some things uh, you'll do more as you grow. But everyone should be able to find something that they can do. The idea that we sit and do nothing until we reach some predetermined level before we do anything is not the right way to understand it. Again, I, I, they can't, there are certain things they're not going to do until a certain point, but everyone should be trying to do something for the Lord. Now watch this statement. Every believer should be serving God as soon as they're saved. No one has an excuse not to serve God. You might not be able to do what others can do, but you can do something. Every believer can do something. It should be in our heart, our desire. It is our responsibility as a born-again believer to be serving the Lord, to be active, to be trying to find something we can do. Watch it. You can go soul winning. You know what it takes really to be a soul winner? To take the gospel to a lost person. You don't have to clean up your life and, and get everything right. All you need to go and say, hey, I was lost. I was headed for hell. I could not save myself, and here's how I got saved. Well, even if, listen, I'm not suggesting you smoke and drink and do drugs, but I'm saying this, if you witness, even if you had the smell of smoke on you, that wouldn't stop you, that shouldn't stop you from soul winning. Even if you still got trouble smoking, even if you have some other issues in your life, you ought to be trying to take the gospel to a lost world. Most of the lost world aren't going to be looking down their nose just because they smell smoke, because they probably smell smoke on themselves. So all you have to do is take the gospel. Everyone can do something, and that should be in our heart, our, our heart's desire to do something for the Lord. Every believer should be serving God as soon as they're saved. That should be the, our mindset. That's how we should be pushing people. It hurt, uh, uh, <laughs> it's a hurting, that, I don't mean hurting. Uh, training people, uh, trying to get people to, to do that. God expects every believer to be active in serving God. Both sons, he says the same thing. Go into my field and work. There's a second thing we see in here. Drop down, if you will, to verse 33. Here, another parable. There's a certain householder which planted a vineyard, and now watch, and he planted a vineyard, he hedged it round about, he digged a wine press in it, he built a tower, and he led out to husbandmen and went to a far country. Everything that those husbandmen needed to produce was provided for those husbandmen. And then he puts them in there to do the job. So, every, so he said, God expects every believer to be active in serving God. Number two, God has provided you the place and the resources necessary to serve God. Everyone has something they can do. You have some resource, some place. Everyone can do something. God has superintended our lives so that everything necessary has been provided in order to serve him. In other words, you have no excuse not to serve him. You say, well, Pastor White, I, I don't really got time. I'm sorry, did, did you have 24 hours yesterday like I did? How about the day before that? How about tomorrow? How many hours are you going to have? 24. Everyone has the same amount of time. You have life. 
You have opportunity. God provides every person with a place and resources necessary to serve the Lord. Hold your place in Matthew. Go with me to Romans 12. Now, you may be thinking, maybe I'm thinking for you. You're thinking, Pastor White, let me see here. Uh, in a few weeks, you see, this is the end of February, the end of March. We start our spring program. It seems almost like you're trying to start making us think that way. You would be exactly right. We're getting close to time to, as a church to get busy. We, we, we don't do a whole lot in January. We don't do a whole lot in February, really, just because of the weather. But once we start hit, pushing towards March, it's time to get busy. We get, we, let me just speak to you plainly. We get kind of lazy as believers. We, get, we just start coasting. We get complacent. We get apathetic. There is a work to be done. As long as we're living and breathing, there's something to be done for the Lord. Amen. And we need to understand we have a role. We have a responsibility. We have that God gives us a place. By the way, the place is called a church. We have a church that we can serve the Lord, and God gives us resources. Go with me to Romans 12. Look with me at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable, what's the next word? Service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in this idea of service, we have the will of God. It's the will of God for us to serve. And he talks about this, this transforming of our minds. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Part of that transform of our mind is to come down off our high horse and realize we're not that important. We're not that busy, and the reason we don't serve God is because we don't want to serve God. It has nothing to do with our schedule. It has nothing to do with all these other things, we, all these other excuses. We need to come off. Don't think so highly of yourself. Every person can do something. But to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. In other words, we don't all have the same resources, but we all have some resources. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, on he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You can read the rest. What he's saying is this. Everyone has been given something. You have a gift. You have resources. You have opportunity to serve him. And God expects us to take advantage. We need to have our thinking transformed. So we think not just about ourselves, about the Lord's work. And not just our insufficiency. People say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I could. Have you ever tried to? Pastor, I don't know if I could ever talk to someone about Jesus. I don't know if I could ever witness to someone. Have you ever tried to? Have you ever made the effort? Let me, let me encourage you to this. The Lord can use you in ways you have no idea if you put the effort forward. Amen. Let me tell you, if, 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 if you find most people who are good at dealing with people are not typically people people. People people. People persons. They're typically, sometimes believers, they're someone who've put themselves forward. Now, you know me, and I, probably every preacher says this, and I, I don't know if it's true about them, but I know it's true about me. I'm not the most outgoing person in the world. And outside of the pulpit, I, I, I'm not really an outgoing person. And when I, when, when I knew I was supposed to be a soul winner, I thought, really, Lord, me? I'm not, hey, I'm not going to talk to people. But the more the Lord put it upon my heart, the more I knew I was supposed to do it, and the more I understand my responsibility in it. Let me tell you, one of the biggest 
biggest steps of faith I took as a young person is when I got a handful of tracks and I and I and I and on a um, Thursday night at my house I couldn't get to the church to go soul winning and I I walked out my front door and this is when we lived way out in the boonies in West Virginia I walked out my front door and just started walking down the gravel road and walked to the nearest house and walked up and knocked on that door and tried to witness to him and then walk and then and of course now this is down the boonies so I had to walk quite a way and then I had to walk quite a way to the next one. And worked my way all the way down to the river and then started working all the way back up. And the next day I'm working all the way to the top of the hill because we lived on the middle of the hill. Let me tell you, that was a big challenge. And I believe this, I wouldn't be here today doing this if I wasn't willing to do that. God blesses obedience. Every believer has resources. Every believer has some place they can serve the Lord. And we need to take responsibility and be doing these things. The major hindrance in our responsibility in serving God is not the lack of talent or ability. It's the lack of willingness. Every believer who's willing can do something for Jesus. Some of the most amazing people who have served the Lord over the years, whether our church or other churches like this, are people that would amaze you to start with because you say, they, I, I can't believe that they're doing that. And they're doing it because they had a willingness. They didn't have necessarily the talent. They didn't necessarily have something. Uh, you didn't look at them and say that. Okay, I'll give you an example. In the back, and while, while I'm giving you an example, turn to 2 Corinthians. In the back, among the workers who are back there, is Doug Vogel. Now, Doug Vogel, for years, his motto of ministry was, I hate kids. Had, it, had a t-shirt with it, had it on his coffee cup. I think he had a business card and had it on it, I hate kids. So we needed someone, because of what changes we're making, we needed someone to do the, the ministry back there, because one was going out, and we needed someone to take over. I, had, I, didn't, I, I said, Lord, I, I, don't know who to, I don't know who to ask. I, I, we, everyone who I thought could do it was already doing something else. I'm thinking, I, I don't know, Lord. I really don't know who to ask. And so it happened to be just an, a quirky thing. Uh, it was my wife's birthday, and uh, my, my wife and I and the Vogels were going out for dinner. And we're sitting at the table, um, just chit-chatting, and I don't even have the conversation came up. I just said, well, here's something I'm, I'm perplexed with, something I'm praying about. I, I don't have any idea, and I mentioned the, the need there. And Doug said, I'll give it a try. Now, here's what I did. <laughs> Doug Vogel? So I had to do this. Doug, we're talking about kids. Okay, there, there are going to be kids back there. He said, I know. No, they're, they're kids. He said, I'll give it a try. Doug has done an excellent job back there. Not someone you would think, but someone God has used. He had a willing heart. That's what makes the difference. Second Corinthians. Look with me. Chapter 8, look with me at verse 10. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Now verse 12 is one I want to focus on. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to the man hath, and not according to that he hath not. What God is saying is, I'm not worried what you don't have, as long as you've got a willing mind. God can fill in the gaps. God can use you. So God has provided you the place and resources necessary to serve the Lord. So God expects every believer to be serving him. God provides what we need to serve him. Let's move on back to, now to Matthew again. Matthew 21. 
verse 34. Now, we saw in verse 33, he digged a wine press, he built a tower, he provided everything for them, he puts husbandmen in there, and he wants them to do the job. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. There's an expectation of reception there. Drop down to verse 43, if you will. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now I'll let you read all the, the, uh, the middle verses there. But basically they didn't provide and God held them accountable. That brings us to number three. So there's an expectation. There is a provision. Now look at verse three. Uh, sorry, point three. God will hold us accountable for the opportunities he has given us to serve God. There is the expectation, there is provision, there's the accountability. These servants mistakenly try to make plans to keep them from being accountable to the master. They were given a field, they were given a job to do, they started doing it, and then they started thinking, how can we do this and not have to worry about what the master says? Let's go back and look at some of these verses again. Look at verse 36. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Well, what they had done, see in verse 35, they beat him, killed him, stoned him. Verse 37, but last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come and let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. So these servants figured out, well, we'll do our own thing here. We got our own plans. But all their plans failed when they appeared before the master. And you can have all the plans in your life and think of how you're going to live your life apart from God. And, and well, I'm, I'm, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, you can preach all you want. I'm not, I'm not going to go soul winning. I'm not going to work in a ministry. I'm just barely going to show up. And, and I, I, I'm just going to barely give a uh when, when you walk by and say hi to me. Now, that can be your attitude. But someday you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. And he's going to say, here's the opportunities I gave you. What did you do with those opportunities? And you can use all the excuses you want and all the reasons why you didn't, and all he's going to say is, why didn't you do what I commanded you and called you and, and provided and, and, and held you accountable for doing? There's an accountability that we have as believers before our Lord. We cannot plan or scheme or excuse ourselves from being held accountable by God. Now, I, I've said this before. I really don't know what it's going to look like before the, the judgment seat of Christ. We're not judged for our sins. That, that was taken. When we put our faith in Christ, our sins were judged and paid for by Jesus. But the Bible still says that there is the judgment seat of Christ, and we're, and we're going to give an account, and, and, we're going to, and it's going to be you and, and the Lord. And you're not going to point to your spouse. You're not going to point to your kids. You're not going to point to your pastor. You're not going to point to the president. You're not going to point to anyone else. The Lord's going to look at you and say, what did you do? I gave you X amount of years, X amount of breath, X amount of resources. What did you do for me? And it ain't going to be, well, you know, I had a nice house. I, I, I didn't put you on earth to have a nice house. Have a nice house, great, but that's not why he said it's there. Well, I, you know, I had a nice car. Uh, you know, I had a nice garden. Uh, I had a nice uh, a, a flower bed here. Uh, uh, you know, I had a nice hairdo. Uh, I had a nice tie on. None of those things matter. What matters is what did you do for Jesus Christ? You can have nice ties, nice hairs, nice yard, nice garden, nice cars, nice house. You can have all the nice things. That's not a problem. But are you serving the Lord? That's why we're here. We're here to serve the Lord. No matter what excuse we use, God is going to hold us accountable to how we fulfilled our responsibility in serving God. God is going to hold us accountable. 
Now, I believe this. I believe for every believer, there's going to be a certain shame and embarrassment because none of us are all that we're supposed to be. I don't think any of us are going to walk before the Lord and, yep, Jesus, aren't you glad I'm here? Yep, yeah, you've been waiting for me, haven't you? Okay, I don't think we're going to be cocky and arrogant before the Lord. But I think there's going to be different levels of sadness. I mean, really, let's say, for example, let's say your whole life you've collected matchbox cars. And there is, I guess, I've seen where there's people who are really big into match, matchbox cars. They have walls covered with them. And I, 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 I met a guy like this. And he can take that car off and say, this is a limited edition. And this is, look at this, and it's brand new in a box. And only so many people have this. Man, if I went to a, 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 some type of matchbox car meet, I mean, I, I, boy, I could sell this for a lot of money, and this is a special one. And look at this. this, is, this is, there's only like 10 of these made here. And, uh, and, and look, they're all numbered. Now, you can have, and it, there's nothing wrong with having that. But when you stand before the Lord, none of that's going to matter. You think Jesus is going to say, wow, you've got a matchbox car collection. Wow, we. That's not what's going to matter. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have hobbies. It's not wrong to be involved in other things unless those are reasons not to serve him. And you're going to be accountable someday. I'm going to be accountable. And it's going to be just me and Jesus. My wife's not going to be there. My kids aren't going to be there. You're not going to be. It's going to be me and Jesus. And I've got to give an account to how I live my life, and so do you. So God will hold us accountable for the opportunities he's given us to serve him. Go back with me now to verse 28. Still Matthew 21. Let's look at a fourth thought about this, our responsibility in serving him. We said that we have a... Um, uh, there's an expectation, there's provision, there's an accountability. Now we're going to build on this idea of accountability just for a moment. Verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in thy vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. Well, you look at that and you're like, well, that kid was, you know, side to face or something. I mean, I will not. You didn't talk to your dad that way. I told you to do it. You go do it. Now, he did do it. He repented and went. He doesn't really come across initially like a very good kid, but he does what his father wants. So there, there's something good there. And he came to the second and, and, and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going. I love you, dad. I'll do exactly what you said. You can count on me. And he went not. He had all the right words. Man, you look at Man, what a great kid! Man, he's he's so nice. He's so uh, obedient. Look at him. He's saying he's going to do it, but he never does it. That brings us to our fourth thought. God's accountability, and this is kind of a quick thought. God's accountability is based on our actions, not our words, our claims. It isn't what we say we are doing, but what we actually are doing that God will judge. I have found, this is true in Christian life, this is true in many other areas, but it's very true in the Christian life. Some people can talk a great Christian life, but they don't walk it. They don't actually do it. They can talk, oh yeah, the, the, the world needs Jesus. People need to go out with the gospel. We need soul winners. Great, I agree, but you never go. 
It's not enough to say we, we need this if we never do it. Oh, you know what the church needs? The church needs people to give. They need church to be faithful. They need people to just give their heart to the Lord and serve the Lord in the church. Great, I'm right with you. But if you're not doing it, it's just words. That first son wasn't very good with words, but he's good with action. The second son could talk it, but he never walked it. And what God holds us accountable for is not just the claims we make, but the actions we perform. So I have this statement, and we'll move on to the next and last point. It would be a shame if our only service for the Lord is lip service. Number five. Go back to chapter one. Let me show you the the, uh, fifth application. So there's an expectation there's provision, there's an accountability. The accountability is based on what we do, not just what we talk about doing. And then there's a fifth. Chapter 21, look with me at verse 31. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now that had to hurt. Because these are, these are Pharisees, these are rulers, these are chief priests, these are the elders. And basically what Jesus said is, yeah, you're no one. It's the publicans and harlots that are going to get the rewards, not you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Now think about these two groups of people. You have the elders, the chief priests, and all these people. They had reached a certain level, and that was about it. They're not going any further. In fact, now they're criticizing and attacking Jesus. You have this other group. They're, 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 the Bible calls them, let make sure I get the right words. Um, let me find my verse, 32. For John came in the, in the publicans, let me make sure I get the right words. Publicans and the harlots. The publicans were basically, um, as far as the Jews are concerned, they were traitors, they were cheats. They were tax collectors for the Romans. They were benefiting the Romans who were the oppressors to the Jews, and they would sometimes, and many times cheat the Jews out of money. And what could the Jews do? Because they were collecting the taxes, they would just turn them, you know, turn them over to the Romans. So they were, they were cheating the Jews, helping the Romans oppress the Jews. The publicans are very much hated, and the harlots are the harlots, prostitutes. You're a prostitute. And what Jesus said is this. Maybe you started here, maybe they started there, but that's not what matters. What matters is, is where they're going to end up at. Which brings us to the fifth and the last application. God's accountability and God's blessing is not just based on the level that we're at, but the direction that we're going. Now this is important because something happens, I don't know, I can't really tell you and explain it, but I just, I've seen it. That you have believers, they start growing and they get to a point and they get complacent and apathetic. And they start looking down their nose at young believers who aren't maybe as refined as they are, as spiritual as they are, who doesn't know all the Bible that they know. And they can't figure out why is it that these young believers who aren't as spiritual as they are seem to have more joy and more blessing. And they seem to be really the backbone of the church and not them. Let me tell you why. Because there is... A direction that you're going you may be here and they may be down here but they're growing 
and you're going down. You're, you're just becoming more and more carnal and caught up in yourself. It isn't just where on the steps we are, if you think about a staircase, but it's what direction we're heading on those steps that concerns the Lord. So here's another statement. We can rejoice, and properly so, we can rejoice in past accomplishments. So, well, you know, I used to teach such and such Sunday school class for so many years. I used to work on the bus routes. I used to do that. And if the Lord used you, you can rejoice in your past accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with rejoicing in past accomplishments. But we cannot rest in past accomplishments. Now, let me give you this statement. And I've made, I've made this statement over the years a bunch of times. But let me tell you, it means something different now than it did 20 years ago when I said it. Our opportunities to serve God can and often do change based on age and health, income, location. Those things impact the opportunities we have. As you get older and your health starts to wane, you're not going to have the same opportunities. I understand that. Some people say, Pastor Way, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. Okay, I understand that. You, maybe you can't do all that you did. Well, you know, things in my life have changed, and I don't have the same amount of time, the same, uh, maybe the same energy level, the same opportunity. Okay, all that may be true, but it's not that you don't have any. You do have some. And it's not that you're not always doing what you always did. It's not you're not doing what you could be doing. That's the issue. Opportunities to serve God can change based on age and health and income and location. There's a lot of things that can change certain opportunities. But our responsibility to serve God never changes. Amen. So I'm not asking tonight, what level have you achieved in your Christian life? You know, maybe, maybe you've, you know, ding, 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 you've gone up this high level. Great. But what direction are you going right now? Pastor, it sounds like you're thinking, uh, what I've done is not enough. I need to do more. You're thinking right, because that's what I'm thinking. See, Pastor, when can we just rest and take it easy? There's a day coming. There's a rest prepared. You say, well, when I know. Well, either one or two things are happening. Either you're, you're, there's going to be a loud trumpet, and you're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. Or there's going to be, I don't know, maybe a quick, and you're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. That's when we rest. There's a rest prepared. It's not here, it's there. We need to serve him. And God holds us accountable to these things. So let's bring it to an end. A believer needs to forget about titles and positions and recognition. Instead, what he needs to focus on is looking at life as an opportunity to serve God. I've never been a deacon here. Maybe you might never be. Big deal. Still serve God. No one's ever asked me to teach a Sunday school class, and we may never serve God. There's, got to, there's a place for everyone to do something. Everyone can do something. We need to understand that God will hold us accountable to the opportunities he has given us. We can push them aside. We can ignore them. We can brush them off. But you're going to give an account. You're going to give an account. I'm going to give an account. And we're responsible for those opportunities. 
so that when we face the Lord, yeah, there will be some regret because our humanity and we fail the Lord, none of us are perfect. But do you think it's possible if we give him our utmost, we give him our best, you think it's possible he may after he says, okay, well, you know, eh, not so good here, eh, not so good there, but here's what you did do for me. And it may be possible he may look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be worth it? Let me ask you, is there anything better than that? Nothing better than that. That's our responsibility in serving the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's